very pleasant good evening, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell. We're going to kick back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds over the next 60 or so odd minutes, and it's been a very eventful few days for not only the Reds but the Indians, as both teams now are going to have to sit down and decide what they are going to do with their pitching staffs, most likely because of what happened to Araldus Chapman last Wednesday, and we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But now, let's bring to the microphone our resident Reds expert from down south of Points Unknown, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening. How are you? I'm good, Dave. I'm good. And uh, when you mentioned about the Reds or the Indians making roster cuts, uh, I'm thinking in the Reds' case, they may have to go out and, and get some of the Indian players to fill out their roster. They may not have enough to start the season. Well, we need to get into that here in just a little bit, Mark, and we're going to do that. Of course, a couple things I want to let everybody know before we get into what's happening with Araldus Chapman. First of all, we're expecting a guest tonight from MLBTalk101.com, Matt Bowman. Matt is the Cincinnati Reds reporter for that website. We're expecting him to call in here tonight, and hopefully we'll have the opportunity to chat with him about 9.20 here this evening on the show. I say hopefully because he did not confirm today. He said that he would be on during the weekend and then didn't confirm that he was going to be on uh, later on today. Now, we also are going to try something new tonight, Mark. This should be rather interesting. Uh, we're going to take phone calls around 9.35. From around 9.35 to 9.45, we're going to take phone calls. And the phone number for people to call into is 937-660-4878. That's 937-660-4878. Now, let me explain the rules right now. You're only allowed to call once, and we can only take one phone call at a time which means that when you call, if we're on the phone with somebody, the phone is going to continue to ring. So let it ring until we come to you, and we're only going to take phone calls for about 10 minutes. We're going to try it tonight, Mark, and see how this works out. And if it does work out, we'll continue to do it. If it doesn't, we'll just go back to our regular Ask Us segment. Sounds good. So that's what we'll do. But let's get into what happened on Wednesday night. Um, Araldus Chapman, of course, as everybody knows by now, was hit in the head Wednesday night after throwing a 99-mile-per-hour fastball to Salvador Perez of Kansas City that was lined right back up the middle. Chapman was unable to react and block the hit, and he was struck in the head in what is termed as a terrifying moment. If you saw it on video, you probably know what I'm talking about. He immediately went down on the mound and could be seen kicking his legs as trainers and teammates rushed to his aid and the crowd at Surprise Stadium were immediately silenced with concern. Now, Reds announcer Marty Brenneman, of course, one of the best in the business, had the description of the play, and it, it, it's rather alarming. Yeah, and a kid that had a great year last year for this. Oh, oh yes! Line drive hits Chapman in the face. A line drive back through the middle, and Chapman is down. Oh, boy. Paul Lassard, the trainer, out. Tomas Vera, the assistant trainer, racing out. Brian Price, members of his coaching staff, the players all crowded around the mound. And Salvador Perez is 
beside himself over at first base. In fact, he's now slowly walking in toward the mound. It was it was an absolute line drive. It's hard to say where it got him, but it certainly got him somewhere in the face. And he is still down at the base of the mound. The ball ricocheted all the way over to the Kansas City third base dugout. Mark, there are just certain times as a play-by-play announcer where words just don't justify what it is that you just saw and I think that was one of those times for Marty Brenneman. I saw it just like you did, Dave, and uh, those things are frightening. And it it's only a matter of time before a major league pitcher is killed on the mound. If you recall, a couple of years ago, a first base coach in the minor leagues was killed by a line drive that hit him uh, you know, 90 feet away because he was coaching first base. And the pitcher is 30 feet closer. There will be a pitcher killed on the mound. It's already happened in amateur ball and high school ball and little league ball. It's happened frequently. Not frequently, but it happens every year. And until Major League Baseball takes some responsibility about this, they're going to be the ones who uh, are to be blamed if if a Chapman or anybody else, if their skull is fractured and they're killed on the mound. It will happen. These guys are so strong these days. As you said, Chapman was throwing 99, which means that line drive probably came back at about 110 to 115 miles an hour. And uh, and it's he's frankly he's lucky that hit him in the forehead. It, it broke the orbit above, above his eye. Had that hit him in the nose directly or in the mouth, it have knocked all his teeth out. And you know he he would have had a he could have died from a, his his. Nose going up into his brain. That has happened before. So, Mark, ironically, you know, you bring that up. Uh, Ray Chapman, same last name, is the only baseball player at the major league level to be killed, and that was because he was hit by a pitch. But what's the difference now between then and now? Is it so much that the players are, are so much bigger, or is there a difference in the ball? I mean, pitchers are still getting hit in the face. They were back then, they are now, but like you said, somebody's going to get killed, and we're just now seeing the, the, re, the I, I guess the real dangerous aspect of this. Is it because the players are so much bigger? Yeah, I think it's, it's a combination of things, Dave. The, number one, the average fastball in the 1930s and 40s was about 84 to 85 miles an hour. Now, you had guys like Bob Feller who could throw at 95, 96, 98, but he was, he was a rarity. Most pitchers did not throw that hard. When you don't throw that hard, the guys don't hit it that hard. But the bats today are, are even hard. The, the wooden bats today generate more power than they did back then. The, the wood is more compacted, and it, it's, it's a different tool than they had back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Now, remember Herb Score from the Indians. He got, it was 1955, 56. Uh, he got hit in the, in, the, in the eye, and, I mean, some say that, that ended his career effectively. He was never the pitcher again after he got hit than he was before. And he, and he everyone thought Herb Score was going to be an all-star left-hander for years to come. And the same with Chapman. I've been hit on the mound. When, when I was a kid, I got hit in the, in the face, broke my jaw, broke my nose, broke the orbit above my eye. And I came back, and when I pitched again, 
I winced every time I pitched. I, I blinked. I was, I, was, I was afraid of the ball coming back at me. And I don't think it will affect a role as Chapman that way, but it affects a lot of people that way. And he even said, he says, well, no more pitching across the middle. I'm going to pitch inside. Well, that means he's changing his, his rotation. He's changing his motion. And Major League Baseball has to do something about this because, as I said, somebody's going to end up dead on the mound. Well, I want to get into that. And you told me an interesting story last week when we talked after this happened about where that pitch was and what Chapman is going to do. But then Chapman showed up in the Reds clubhouse on Sunday after he had surgery on his nose and eye, and they put a metal plate inside his head. And not only did he meet with the team, but Mark, he met with the media. And afterwards he talked about just what he saw happen in the split second that it happened to him. Well, to be honest with you, I feel really good. I feel a lot of, a lot of better than what I thought was going to be. Well, at the exact moment, I mean, you don't, you don't think about, you, you don't have a chance to think about anything. But when it actually happened, I mean, all I was thinking is nothing, nothing wrong was happening with me. Nothing, I mean, I didn't have any bad thoughts in my mind when I was down and feeling what I was going through. I knew it was going to be that I was going to be more than one and a half of Sometimes they told me two months without throw. That, that's the that's the part of the one that actually bothered me. So that, that's what I was thinking about. That was what it made me mad. And it was the time I was going to be away from the field. Well, let's be honest, that was the interpreter because Chapman doesn't speak very good English, and every time he does a media interview, he, he speaks through the interpreter that the Reds have provided. But, Mark, what he said there through the interpreter is he was thinking about how long he was going to be gone. He really didn't have time to think about what had just happened to him. Yeah, he didn't lose he didn't lose consciousness, which was the important thing, but... Again, if you have to be hit in the head, you want to be hit in the forehead. That's the thickest part of your skull. But if he'd have turned his face and got hit in the jaw or the cheekbone or flat in the mouth, uh, he would have been out for a lot longer than, you know, six, eight weeks. So he was, he was lucky. But did you see the photograph of him with the stitches across the top of his head? Yes. That means they opened up his, his skull, his skull, pulled it down so they could put that that plate in his head and that, that was that was major surgery and within four days he's up and visiting the clubhouse it, I was pretty impressed by that yeah now I never saw what happened to herb score obviously that happened before I was born and I saw pictures of what score looked like mark after he was hit and there was a lot more blood <laughs> You know, I hate to say that, but there was with with Score than there was involved with Chapman. But I remember Herb Score would never talk about the incident, but the one time that he did and I heard him speak about it, he said that it forced him to change his motion, which changed his entire career. Now, you told an interesting story the other day about how Chapman threw the ball over the outside half of the plate and like you said earlier, now his mind will never let him throw that pitch again. Well, the mistake he made with the pitch the other night was not that it was on the outside corner, which he normally does. Chapman gets his strikeouts on a fastball that moves up and away from a right-hand hitter. And what he did this time was come into the middle of the plate. And the guy, caught, it looks like he caught it 
uh, inner third maybe and just lined that shot up the middle. Uh, either he's got to come in farther off the plate so he breaks the guy's bat, or he's got to stay outside. And it, it's it was frightening because his Chapman throws and he is he has the longest stride off the mound in baseball. You're 60 feet six inches away from the plate when you're pitching, but when his head was probably I don't know 54 feet, 53 feet from the plate. I mean that's <laughs> that is dangerous. And you're trying to catch a 110 mile an hour ball coming back at your at your melon. Uh, it, it's it's a scary thing. Yeah, it's very scary. Okay, let's get off the nuts and bolts of what happened to Chapman. Now let's turn to the team and how this is going to affect the Reds going into the season. He's supposed to be out six to eight weeks. Mark, realistically, he's going to be out probably. I would say until at least the middle of June. Would you agree? I, I would agree with that. Even if he's physically able to come back, it's going to take some time to build some arm strength. Although, apparently, he can throw, and I'm sure he will be throwing pretty soon. So, uh, And you're talking about an unusual athlete here. But, you know, he's always had control problems. You know, And uh, by not pitching three months in spring training, you don't have a chance to work on your control. So you're right. The the ripple effect here goes beyond Chapman. Uh, I've never, in, in all the years I've followed the Reds, I have never seen spring training like this. It, it's likely, I just read it five minutes ago, that Matt Latos is going to start the season on the disabled list, although he, they, they, they don't think he'll miss his first start, or certainly he's on his second start. Broxton is on the DL. Marshall is on the DL. Hanahan's on the DL. Mezzarocco pulled a lat today. Bailey pitched today for the first time in two weeks. Chapman is on the DL. Then you've got your other two starters, Leak and Singrani, who have been getting pounded. Leak gave up eight runs yesterday. Uh, this, and you mentioned last week how tough the Reds' schedule is in April. If the Reds don't get some pitching help, uh, they could be six or seven games back on May 1st. And that's going to make it an awfully long summer for Cincinnati fans. Well, and you just mentioned the pitching staff, and a majority of them that you mentioned were relievers, especially especially uh, Sean Marshall. Mark, with Chapman down, that moves everybody in the bullpen back one inning because now Broxton becomes your closer, and instead of him being the setup man, then they've got to move somebody into that setup man spot the way everybody uses their relievers nowadays. What is this going to do to the Reds' bullpen? Well, number one, I don't think Broxton is going to be ready to be this. He pitched one perfect inning today, and they were relieved he wasn't hurt. So they're saying he may start on the DL as well, which means the the, the, uh, the, the closer role is probably going to be J.J. Hoover. I don't know who else they can put in there who throws that hard for the ninth inning. And he pitched, he, I think he had three saves last year, got off to a horrible start. He was 0-5 last year, but ended up having a, a good year. But I, I don't know where else you go uh, for a closer on that team. Well, you talked before when they were talking about putting Chapman into the rotation, maybe Singrani being the closer. Is there any talk about that? Well, then who's going to replace him uh, in the starting rotation? Well, that's the dilemma that you've got. Yeah, and they don't have anybody, unless they're going to bring up 
you know, a rookie or somebody that is touted for double or triple A to, to start a, a few games at the beginning of the year. But Alfredo Simon today looked bad. Second time he's looked bad. They had kind of stretched him out in hopes that he could step in and be a starter. But I've never seen a team come out of spring training like this. And, and it's nobody's, you know, is to blame. But the, the guy that really has been disappointing to me, and we've talked about this before, uh, you know, we're older guys, and we remember if, if you had a sore arm back in the day in the 50s and 60s, even the 70s, you went out and pitched. And Sean Marshall, I, I don't understand. The, the guy pitched, what, 10 games last year? And he hasn't even thrown yet this year. I, is he, is his arm ready to fall off? Or I don't understand. They don't explain what the injury is. And so I'm left with the idea, well, you know, you're, you're going to pitch one inning every three days and you can't do that? How, how, I mean, if you're a starter, yeah, that's one thing. But you're a left-hand specialist. How, how badly are you hurt that you can't go out and pitch one inning every two or three days? Yeah, it used to be you, you'd have to be on your deathbed before you would not go out and pitch. And now, in the advent of agents and the high-money contracts, Mark, they don't want to throw and unless they are 100%. And maybe Sean Marshall's one of those guys that every time he throws, he feels a twinge and he just doesn't want to pitch the next day. Yeah, and again, it's not fair to to suppose what it feels like to have his left arm. But I saw him pitch last year in four or five games. He was getting people out. He, he wasn't getting hit hard. And yet, then he goes on the DL three or four times last year, from spring training to the end of the year. And, you know, if you're getting lit up and you can't, you can't throw a pitch, that's one thing. But at some point, I mean, either you're going to pitch or you're not. And... So far, the Sean Marshall signing for $21 million has not been a good one for the Reds. Well, I could tell you this, that Aaron Harang was one of the players today cut by the Indians. Actually, he was granted his release. He, he was not going to make the opening day roster. They asked him if he would accept a minor league demotion. He said no and asked for his release, and the Indians granted it. But, Mark, he pitched outstanding baseball for the Indians during spring training. And the only reason he did not make this team is because, is because Carlos Carrasco and Josh Tomlin outpitched him for that fifth spot in the rotation. And Carrasco does not have any options left. He has to be on the major league team, either in a starting or a relieving role. So somebody is going to pick up Aaron Harang, and I think they're going to get themselves a fine major league pitcher. His, his problem in the past has always been, again, we go back to the arm problems. And he had surgery a couple of years ago. Last year he spent most of the year rehabbing that injury and trying to come back. This year I think he's at full strength and he started to pitch like it. And I think somebody will pick that guy up and he'll have a good good season for them. You are a seer, my friend, because the Braves picked him up about an hour ago. Well, there you go. And see, the Braves are they're, they're desperate for starting pitching right now because Beachy uh, and Medlin are down with arm injuries. So they had to pick up... Uh, Irvin Santana, and now they pick up Harang. And I think Harang is going to be a, you know, now that you tell me that, I think it's a great pickup for the Braves. Yeah, I think in that ballpark, he'll do pretty well. Um, and, of course, he was, a, he was a favorite for the Reds and, and was 
very well loved in Cincinnati for all the things he did off the field. So he's a, he's a class act, and I hope he has a has a good year this year. Mark, this afternoon the Indians and the Reds played in Goodyear, eight to three. The Indians came out on top. Lonnie Chisenhall, Ryan Rayburn hit home runs off of Alfredo Simon. You were just bringing him up a little bit ago. Jason Kipnis hit one off of J.J. Hoover. You also talked about him. In six innings today, Carlos Carrasco limited the Reds to three runs on nine hits with five strikeouts and no walks. Jason Kipnis, as I said, had a homer, which was his third of the spring. Ryan Rayburn hit his third. Lonnie Chisenhall also hit his fourth. So it appears that Lonnie Chisenhall has won the third base spot over Carlos Santana, although I think you're going to see Santana play a lot of third base for the Reds this year. The Reds finally broke through against Carrasco in the fourth when Joey Votto singled and later crossed the plate on a base hit from Ryan Ludwig. Then they got two more runs against Carrasco in the sixth, thanks to RBI doubles by Jay Bruce and Zach Cozart to trim the Tribe's advantage to 7-3. to Cleveland added its last run in the ninth. Mark, I was watching the Reds play the Cubs over the weekend. I don't remember if it was Saturday or Sunday. My eyes are still bouncing from watching the NCAA tournament. But I tuned in a little bit to watch the Reds play the Cubs, and I heard the Cubs color analyst, who I'm not quite sure who it is anymore, but this guy made the comment about Zach Cozart during the game, Mark, that he's not fitted to bat second for the Reds because he has no speed whatsoever. Now, I thought this guy was a base dealer at one time and and had 30 stolen bases for the Reds. He didn't have 30. He had 30 stolen bases in AAA the year before he came up from the Reds. And supposedly he's the third or fourth fastest guy on the team. So obviously the Cubs announcer didn't know what he was talking about. But I think he's going to be a much better number eight hitter than number two. I do agree with that. Well, are there any surprises as to who's going to make the opening day roster for the Reds before we get into the Indians here, Mark? I think the surprise is yet to be announced, and the Reds have to make some roster moves in preparation. I mean, Devin Messerocco now has a pulled lat, and unless the Reds bring up Corky Miller, and if they do, it means one pitcher probably has to go. But I think the Reds are going to have to add a bat, they don't have a backup shortstop for Zach Cozart. They, they, unless they sign uh, Santana, or is that his name? Santiago. Uh, unless they sign him, and they haven't yet, and they don't think they're going to, but they don't have a backup shortstop. They're talking about putting Todd Frazier at short if Cozart goes down. That, that's the most ridiculous thing I've heard. So this team, right now, uh, you know, we're going to be doing our predictions next week, but Unless this team goes out and gets some able bodies, uh, this team is going to be, have a hard time not finishing fourth. Yeah, you talked last week about how, well, even last year, about how the Reds were going to have a tough time scoring, and you were very, very high on the rotation. But this injury to Latos and now the injury to Chapman has really thrown the Reds' pitching staff now into question mark as the regular season is ready to begin. Well, not only that, but you have Cueto has missed three starts here in the spring. Homer Bailey has missed three starts in the spring. And you know Cueto's history recently of getting injured. You could have three or four guys of your rotation on, on the DL. 
uh, and that's not far-fetched. What do you do then? You got to bring up Robert Stevenson, or you got to start Alfredo Simon, or you got to start J.J. Hoover. Uh, he can't close and start. So that, that rotation and that pitching staff is, is going to be challenged, to say the least. And what really frightens me is with all those injuries, as I said before, Mike Leake, his ERA is close to seven uh, in, in the spring, and Sangrani has been getting hit hard, and he's been walking guys. So right now, uh, manager Price has got his – Prime Price has got a lot of uh, – uh, question marks around this this team in general, and particularly the pitching staff. Maybe he's thinking he took the job one year too late, <laughs> or one year too early. <laughs> Nonetheless, hey, okay, let's look at what's going on with the Indians. As I said, Aaron Harang was granted his release today. Jeff Francoeur was really a surprise, Mark, because he was playing some good baseball too. He batted two eighty five in the spring with a couple of homers and was leading the team in RBIs. And he was granted his release on Saturday. And if somebody's looking for a right-handed part-time outfielder with a rocking arm, Jeff Francoeur is it. I was really surprised that he was actually let go by the Tribe. Um, Michael Bourne, he's out for at least the first four games of the regular season. They have placed him on the 15-day DL. He has got a problem with his hamstring, and it's not loosening up for him. So they've had to put him on the 15-day DL. That means that da, 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 Niger Morgan is back in the major leagues. He has made the opening day roster, Mark. Now, he hasn't played all that great, but he's been a model citizen since he's come to the Indians. Yeah, I think going... To- Japan for a year and eating sushi will probably change your attitude about a lot of things. And uh, he seems to have quieted down quite a bit from the histrionics he he projected the last two years he played in the big leagues. Have you ever tried sushi? Yes. It's bait. Uh, Yeah. Uh, I think I would change my attitude, too, if I had to eat sushi for a year. Probably look better, but I'd still have a different attitude. Trevor Bauer and reliever C.C. Lee were also sent to Columbus today. Trevor Bauer, he's another one that maybe he needs to go to Japan and eat some sushi, Mark, because he's just got a head problem. I thought he was pitching so well early in the spring. He did, and then he blew up in two consecutive starts and went back to his old ways. They they had him into a different motion, and after he was rocked for a couple of starts, he went back to the old motion, and they said, okay, go to Columbus. I think they were fed up of watching that. So the number five spot in the rotation now for the Indians is down to Carrasco and Josh Tomlin. And after Carrasco's start today, Tomlin is scheduled to start tomorrow when the Indians are going to host the Rangers in a 4.05 game at Goodyear. Tomlin so far has a 2.70 ERA with 18 strikeouts, two walks, in 20 innings in the spring. So the Indians rotation will be Justin Masterson is the number one starter. Corey Kluber is number two. Zach McAllister, number three. Danny Salazar is probably going to be number four, although they have talked about moving either Tomlin or Carrasco into that fourth spot, and Salazar would be number five. Now, John Axford, and we haven't talked too much about him, Mark, you know more about him than I do. 
John Axford is the new closer. What is he going to bring to the Indians? Well, he brings a damn good arm. I'll say that. Uh, he, he fell off the train, I guess, two years ago after leading the league. I think he led the league in saves one year, not that long ago, maybe 2011, maybe. And then he got rocked in 12, and, and maybe 13 wasn't a great year, but not a bad year. But he went from very, very good to very, very awful in one year. And mainly, it was not because of velocity. I think it was just placement. He was he was wild in the zone a lot, is what I saw. And, boy, there was a stretch there when he was with Milwaukee. He blew some games that were just hard to believe that he blew, uh, giving up three and four runs and, and just getting ripped for, uh, you know, a month at a stretch. So I think he's got a good arm, and I think it was a good pickup. So uh, I think you're going to like what you see with him, but he, he has had, he's had his up and downs, let's put it that way. Well, we're used to up and downs with Chris Perez. The only thing I have to ask is, does John Axford have to have a separate mailing address for his dog? No, and you, you picked up a guy, you know, a, number one, a better citizen and a better teammate, I think, in Ashford. Uh, and Perez, I, I never saw how Perez got guys out. And finally last year he didn't. But he was out of shape, and uh, I think you got a good guy in Ashford, and, and I think he's going to help your bullpen. Well, another person that's coming back, Vinny Pistano, who was really a premier setup man for the Indians for two straight years, and then last year started having an arm injury after the World Baseball Classic. He never could get loosened up, it seemed, and he fell upon hard times. He's come back, and he's won a spot in the bullpen for the Indians, although they have said he is not going to be the setup man to begin the season. But it's good to see Vinny Pistano back. And, Mark, I want to get into the World Baseball Classic in just a little bit, but it seems like a lot of teams have a problem with that. Well, I'm one of them. <laughs> I think that's, uh, number one, it's the wrong time of year to do it when they do it. And I, I don't know what the point is. Uh, you you don't have teams that are representative of really the, the country they're representing. So I, it, it just I think it's a it's a money grab for somebody. And uh, if they're going to do it, why not do it after this immediately after the season, uh, after the World Series, rather than spring training where guys can get hurt and impact their their teams for the rest of the year. No, I I agree with you. David Murphy, the key free agent signee for the Indians, he's going to rotate in right field with Ryan Rayburn. They're going to have a platoon set up out there. Now, Francisco Lindor has been sent to Columbus, but again, Mark, I think we got to keep an eye on him. I'm going to keep a close eye on his stats, especially during the first couple of months of the season, because he is the type of player, Mark, that could really force the Indians to make a move, especially with as Drupal Cabrera. And I think Cabrera knows it, Mark, because he has come out this spring, he's slimmer, trimmer, he's leaner, and he's hitting the baseball a lot better than he has in the last two years. Well, that's a great problem to have. I, I, I never, when I hear people say, yeah, but we got this young stud at AAA, and what are we going to do now? Well, if you've got that much talent, you'll find a place for him. Just like the Reds had a shortstop named Billy Hamilton who moved to center field. If the guy can hit and he can run, they're going to find a spot for him. And it just gives you more trade bait to, to go out and get what you need if you have to. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question about Billy Hamilton here in just a second. But right now we're going to move into our Ask Us segment, which means we're going to try this out. 
We're going to offer the phone lines to you, our fans, 937-660-4878. We're going to try this out and see how it works. 937-660-4878. If you'd like to talk to us here at Ohio Baseball Weekly, you can ask Mark and I your questions. And again, that number, 937-660-4878. Mark, before we get into these, and we'll see if we uh, get some phone calls here and how it turns out, Billy Hamilton has said he'd be glad to help play shortstop if it will help the team out. What do you think about that? Well, he, he's got a good arm, uh, witnessed by, he made a throw the other day from center field, and, and he, he's got a pretty I good I saw arm. that. What? I saw that throw. I know what you're talking. I saw the highlights. That was a great throw. I was shocked yeah. at his arm. Yeah, and he's going to get better and better in center field. But if you can play shortstop, you can play anywhere. That's end of story. It takes more talent, athletic ability to play shortstop than any other position. So uh, I'm glad he's uh, willing to do that. I think that it goes a long way with the politics on the team when you have a kid like that stepping up and saying, hey, I'll do it. And I, I think he could do a reasonably good job. Do you think it's putting too much pressure on a rookie, though, Mark, to ask him to play a new position in center field and then maybe for a few games here or there putting him at the shortstop spot? Well, he was a shortstop his whole life, and he's played now center field. This is his third year. And when you're as good an athlete as he is, and i, I got to tell you, i played both, center field is a heck of a lot easier to play than shortstop, not even close. So uh, he has, you know, if you've played shortstop, you, you don't lose that skill. Uh, the, the only thing that would be a problem is probably getting used to the throw again, but I, I wouldn't be surprised that they would give him some workouts at shortstop between now and the beginning of the year, and, and if the Reds need somebody in the pinch, you know, not a bad guy to draw from. Mark, what about Chris Heisey? Uh, from what I understand, he's been hitting the leather off the ball in Arizona. He's hitting 450 around there, and he's got six home runs, leads the grape or the uh, Cactus League, and also has a ton of home uh, RBIs. But, uh, and I like Chris Heisey. Uh He's done this before, and every time he gets a chance in the regular season to step up and play, he has, by his own admission, he has failed rather miserably. So I, I hope this new batting stance, which he claims has changed his life, uh, I hope it has, uh, because he's he's going to get a shot. They, they can't play Billy Hamilton every game in center field, and Chris Heisey is a very good center fielder. Uh, he he would be a great left fielder, uh, but he's a very solid center fielder. So he'll get a shot, and I bet uh, Chris Heisey will get 300 at bats this year, and he'll get, probably get 400 if he hits. Well, this figures. The night that we open up our phone lines for our fans to call, what happens? I get two emails <laughs> that they don't want to be on the phone <laughs> for our Ask Us segment. So anyway, I've got an email here from Jennifer that I want to go ahead and address because it's one of the things I wanted to address tonight. The Justin Masterson contract situation. She's asking what is going on with that and why does it appear that the Indians don't want to sign him. I think the best... Uh, I guess reasoning I have heard came from Greg earlier this weekend, Mark, that maybe the Indians don't want to sign him because they're going to use him as trade bait at the trade deadline. 
Now, in a way, that makes sense to me, but in another way, it doesn't make sense to me because basically what you're saying is we're going to ride this horse, and if we're in the pennant chase, we, we're going to keep him, but if we're out, we want to have a way to trade this guy and get some prospects. To me, it's hedging their bets, and it's the Dolans being the Dolans again. Yeah, I you can't argue with that as an as an assessment of, of the situation. I, I, I tend to agree with you, but on the, at the same time, I'm not sure it's a bad situation either. Because if they do sign him, it's going to be probably a contract that's going to be a lot of money. The, the kid's probably worth seventy, eighty million dollars, I would guess. Uh, if they sign Bailey to a hundred million, is Bailey that much better, or is he even better at all than Masterson? I don't know. But he's been around longer, throwing a couple of no-hitters, but you're going to be in that price category for Masterson. So whether they sign him now or they sign him later, it's going to be a lot of money. And this gives them a little more option uh, in terms of um, what they can do with him if they get off to a rough start and they're out of it. But imagine what he could bring you on the trade market. I mean, this is one of the, the young pitching stars in certainly the American League, and he could get you a lot of talent. Well, he's he has offered himself a four-year deal to the Indians for $60 million. Now, if this guy is the ace of your staff, Mark, 15 mil a year for the ace of your staff is a bargain. And the Indians are always saying they want a hometown discount from their players. Well, you can't ask for any more of a hometown discount. I'll tell you right now, I know one team, Mark, that would run right out and sign this guy for fifteen million over four year or fifteen million a year for four years and one's the New York Yankees, another one's the Los Angeles Angels. The Dodgers might do the same thing. Heck even Atlanta might even be willing to, to pay the money for this guy. The Indians got a pony up here, Mark. Well sooner or later they do and what you mentioned though at at the outset was that this is a pretty deep pitching staff and the question is, I don't know what the Indians have in the minor leagues over the next two or three years to bring up, but it's awfully difficult to develop a kid like Masterson and then not sign him. And that's one thing I give the Reds kudos for. They they brought Bailey up way too soon because they needed pitching. He got his lumps when he first came up. But now this guy has become an established star, and the Reds stepped up and signed him to a $100 million contract, so eighteen five a year. And they, they've got a lot invested in him, but, uh, you know, the Reds, I think, did it the right way. We'll see. But, if you know, if he's constantly hurt or he gets racked around, there's going to be a lot of second-guessing about why did the Reds waste $100 million on, on Homer Bailey. Well, and Masterson has not been the kind of guy that misses starts either. He's been a horse for this team and has gone out and pitched. Every time his turn in the rotation has come up, He's come out and pitched. But again, it's the Dolans being the Dolans. And, and you're going to see this happen again this season, Mark, where the Indians, no matter what start they get off to, and let's say they get off to a good start, okay, you're going to hear the national media complaining about Cleveland and why the fans are not coming out for a team that made the playoffs a year ago and is playing good baseball now. And the reason is this town just is not convinced that the Dolans are in this to win it, to in it to win it. 
and the Dolans over the past few years have proven, with the exception, there's been two exceptions, Michael Bourne and Nick Swisher. But those two guys are not guys that are going to bring a World Series to your town. Are they complementary pieces? Yes. But they are not the type of pieces that you can build a team around that can win a World Series. And that's where the Dolans have missed the opportunity. And Justin Masterson is just the type of guy, Mark, after all, they got him from Boston for Victor Martinez. He was one of the pieces. And Victor Martinez was well-loved by the Indians fans. He was well-loved by the Indians community. And if you're going to trade Victor Martinez for this guy and then let this guy walk as a free agent at the end of the year because you don't want to sign him, that doesn't sell well. That doesn't bode well for the Dolans with the fans. And that's where there's that disconnect there, Mark, between the Indians' front office and the fans. And that's why they don't draw. Well, I might take exception to some of what you said there, Dave, because I think in today's world, teams have proven the Dodgers, certainly the Angels, uh, the Yankees, uh, other teams that have invested to win a World Series. It is such a crapshoot. I think all you can do is invest enough in your team that you make the playoffs. Because I've not been convinced that having the biggest roster once you're in the playoffs makes a bit of difference. Look at the Giants who won two World Series. They were not even close to being the best team each year they did that. So it's such a dice roll, as I said earlier, when you get to the playoffs, anything can happen. And to spend an extra $100 million, $150 million to put together a roster you think might win a World Series, I don't think that's a good investment. And you look no further than the Dodgers and the Angels. When you look at their rosters over the last two years, and the Boston Red Sox two years ago when they loaded up, Everybody thought they were going to win, and they didn't. So it's the teams that get there. They have the talent to get there, and the Indians do. But if I was the Dolans, or if I was an owner, I would not go out and spend an extra $100 million or $50 million on that team on the hope I'm going to win the World Series because it's been proven not to be a wise investment. Well, we've got another question on our Ask Us segment via the email from Curtis, who says, Great show, guys. Don't want to call in. I'm at work, but I do have a question for you. Mark, what is going to be the difference between Dusty Baker as manager and Brian Price? Are we going to see a difference on the field? Yes. Uh, I think you will see a difference, and it may be something as fundamental as moving a the infield around on a pull hitter and placing a shortstop on the other side of second base. Uh, you're going to see Brian Price play statistics much more than Dusty Baker did. He is a, a statistical hound, Brian Price is. He, he believes the numbers. He stacks his lineup accordingly. Uh, he, he, he's not afraid, as an example, to go back-to-back -back with Votto and Bruce against a right-hander because he, he accurately says, look, I'd rather have those guys back-to-back -back against a right-hander and try and win the game in the first eight innings then worrying about the, the possibility that we might be trailing and the other, other team brings in a left-hander to face my two guys. He said, if, if, you know, it, do the math. They may have six or eight at-bats against a right-hander before they have to worry about 
facing a left-hand closer in the ninth inning. That makes so much sense, but you could never convince Dusty Baker of that. He, he just he was way way old school, and uh, I think you're going to see a different, more cerebral approach to baseball than the Reds have, have been able to demonstrate the last uh, well maybe forever. Well, the strength of the Reds over the last, I'm going to say two or three years, Mark, has been the pitching staff. And it's mainly been attributed to Brian Price as the pitching coach. How much are they going to lose by Brian Price being the manager and no longer being the pitching coach? I don't think you lose anything. Uh, Brian Price will defer to his pitching coach, but believe me, he'll have some input on what they do. He'll have input on the starting rotation. He'll have input on uh, how these guys work out and are trained. I think the challenge for him is going to be on the bench as a bench coach and the strategies that he has to employ that become second nature to a guy who has played the game as a as a fielder and maybe been a bench coach before. It's different when you're on the bench and you've got to make immediate decisions. Do you hit and run? Do you sacrifice? Uh, the changes you're going to make in the lineup, who you're going to bat for whom, all those things, he has yet to prove that. And if he's going to have a weakness, I would guess that's going to be where it's at. Well, of course, next week we are going to have our prediction show. We're going to have a roundtable there. Greg Mitchell is going to join us. Uh, we're hoping to have a couple of other guests, one from the American League Central Market and another one from the National League Central Division that we're hoping to bring on board and go through our predictions for the year. If I remember right, I, I still think I, I didn't miss a one last year. Yeah. Really? <laughs> that left you speechless. Yes, it did. I am in awe of such a statement. Because I remember okay. last year when I predicted the Reds were going to finish third, we got a lot of uh, people calling in. And if I recall, you disagreed with me. Uh, but a lot of people call, emailed in and texted in and saying that I was a horrible human being uh, for picking the Reds third. But uh, I, I hope the Reds have the ability to finish third this year because they still might get a wild card. Uh, I'm not holding out such hopes, though. Yeah, I don't want to ruin next week's show, but I've got to ask you this question before I get into my gripe of the night, which is about time in the show when I when I normally go into my gripe, I guess. But... Do you think Pittsburgh is going to be as good as they were last year? Yes, I do. I think they're going to be a pretty solid team. Uh, they've got a good offense. They've added some pitching, although they lost. Uh, who was the right-hander they lost? Um, uh, A.J. A- uh, Burnett. Burnett. A- Burnett. Yeah, they lost Burnett, and uh, that's going to hurt them. But they have a lot of young studs in that, in that uh, rotation, good bullpen, and I, I think they're going to be solid. And uh, I think Milwaukee's going to be better. They're going to have Braun all year. And uh, I, I'm concerned about the Reds. I, I think they, they have a lot of talent on that team. But it's it, it's it seems to be brittle talent. And unless you can put your best 25 guys out there for most of 162 games, it's hard to win in this division. Mark? I have to make this comment. This is not my gripe of the night, but I have to make this comment about the artist formerly known as Ryan Braun. I think this guy is is in for uh, the worst season of his professional career. I really believe this. I think this guy has managed to alienate 
just about everybody, including his teammates. They could sit back and they could say that they're glad to have him back. But after these comments that he made a week ago about how everybody should just let it go and how he's an artist and he will let his bat talk for him, uh, this guy has never seen a microphone he'll shy away from. He's never seen a microphone that he won't lie to. And he's never seen fans that are going to be against him so much as he will this year. Not only on the road, but if he starts having a tough time and struggling, the Milwaukee fans are going to get on this guy too. You just wait and see. That all may be true, but let me make another prediction. 315, 37 home runs, and 115 RBIs. The fans in Milwaukee will love him by the end of the year. I, there's no way he'll he'll do that. Let's mark that down. Okay, mark what, it down. You said 315. 315. He'll hit 37 home runs and drive in 105 to 110 runs. Okay. You heard uh, it here first. I'll, I'll take I'll take that. Okay. Let's go to my gripe of the night, and I think Mark, you're going to agree with this. I really don't know what baseball was trying to accomplish. By taking the Dodgers and Arizona to Australia to play a pair of baseball games a week and a half before the regular season actually begins. I guess my gripe is, I don't mind them going to Australia, but why did these two games that they played there have to be regular season games? Why couldn't they have just told these guys, hey look, we want you to play Major League ball players while you're out there, but these games aren't going to count. They're going to be exhibition games. It's not like the people in Australia were not going to show up to see Yasiel Puig if it was an exhibition game or a regular season game. And as it turns out, Mark, when you look at this schedule, not only have the Dodgers already played two games in the regular season, the Dodgers in Arizona, but the Dodgers are actually opening up Sunday night on ESPN with San Diego. They're going to have three games under their belt before the Reds and Indians ever play a game. Well, I agree with you that that is a gripe. That's the dumbest thing I've heard recently. And, you know, I remember flying to Europe and being on a 12-hour flight. That's a 24-hour flight, and it's twice in a week. And don't tell me it doesn't have an impact on the players. Uh, that They've missed some valuable spring training time, and it, it, makes, it makes no sense. It makes none. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm surprised the union didn't step in and say, no mas, we're, not, we're just not going to do that. Yeah, and, and another thing was, Mark, they didn't promote it very well. Not only did they decide to schedule this thing on the same weekend as the opening weekend of the NCAA college basketball tournament, but they didn't promote as to what network it was going to be on, what time it was going to be on. I mean, for crying out loud, these games were played in the middle of the night in Australia. I know one game started at 3 a.m. I think that was the Friday morning game, and then the Saturday morning game was at 4 a.m., but it was over in like two and a half hours, and by the time you'd crawl out of bed at 7 o'clock on Saturday, the game was over, so why, why bother? But this was a, a, a... I don't know why these had to be regular season games. The, the, and baseball, as I said, did not do a very good job of promoting this. I think that that's a big problem for this if they ever decide to do it again. It's not like we'd ever have a team, the major leagues would ever have a team in Australia. You couldn't because of the travel. So what were you trying to accomplish? If you want to promote 
in in Japan or or you know I, I don't know where else maybe Canada how about Canada maybe they'll have a team there or Mexico how about that yeah I can understand it but not going to Australia it made no sense yeah I I just didn't understand it but I guess you know that's where that's where baseball makes these decisions and they don't listen to you and I sometimes I think if they did they'd be in a lot better shape. Hey, there was an interesting thing that happened on today's game between the Reds and the Indians. Tom Hamilton is the Indians announcer and has been for over 20 years. His son, Nick, is a former Kent State player and actually got into, he's on the Indians farm system. He's probably not going to be a major leaguer. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with this. He's probably not going to be a major leaguer, Mark, but... He got into the game this afternoon, and it was a pretty touching moment. And Tom Brenneman from the Reds TV crew, who are doing a lot of the games this spring, uh, explained what happened here when Tom Hamilton's son, Nick, came to the plate in the eighth inning. This is one of those moments where if you're a father, and Nick Hamilton's dad happens to be Tom Hamilton. The fabulous play-by-play radio voice of the Cleveland Indians. And this is the first time that he has played in a major league spring training game since signing out of Kent State University two years ago. And you can see his father sitting there already with tears in his eyes to watch his son play in a major league game. How about that? And Tom Hamilton just found out that his son was going to be in the lineup before the game today. He's not doing the game on radio. He just wanted to come for this very moment. Bouncer to the right side and Brandon Phillips will throw him out. But that is a moment that father and son and family will never forget. You know, I don't want to take anything away from the the entire event, Mark, because I could just about imagine how Tom Hamilton felt going through that and being able to watch his son uh, play in a major league game. It was a couple of years ago where he took about two weeks off uh, during the the regular season. The Indians were out of it. It was Manny Actas last year, and and the Indians were out of it. And the and the team allowed him to follow Kent State to the College Baseball World Series to watch his son play in the College Baseball World Series. They gave him the time off to do that. And again, I don't want to take anything or demean this entire situation, but He's not going to be a major league ball player. And I think this was basically done just because his his dad is the announcer. But hey, put the kid put the bat on the ball and he got a, he, he didn't get a base hit. He grounded out the second, but he put the bat on the ball. So, you know, you've got to give him credit there too. You know, I think I'm less cynical than you, David. Uh, I remember my son Matt, who who wasn't a a great baseball player, but a pretty good one. Uh, coming to a little league game, and hit, I saw him hit a home run, and I still remember that. Of all the years I played sports, I remember that more clearly than just about anything. So I can I can empathize and understand uh, Tom's feeling seeing his son play, and it'll be something that he'll remember the rest of his life too. Oh yeah, I re- I remember you know with my boys, certain things that they did on the baseball or football field or or. Uh, elsewhere, and yeah, I understand, and, and I agree with you. You know, I think it was a great thing that that Nick Hamilton got in. The problem with Nick is 
he's a kid without a position. He was a designated hitter at Kent State, and he's a DH with Cleveland. He really doesn't have a position that he can play. So that's probably the biggest thing that he has going against him right now. If you're going to DH with no position, you better hit 360. Absolutely. <laughs> Mark, hey Dave, before we season? get off here, uh, I do yeah. want to give a shout-out uh, to the UD Flyers and what they're doing oh. in the NCAA tournament, and best of luck to them Thursday against Stanford. I've seen Stanford play about six times this year. I've seen Dayton play about 25 times. Dayton can beat Stanford. They may not beat them, but they can beat them. And I have a friend, uh, Heloise, from Bulgaria, who is a big Dayton fan, and uh, she told me to give a shout-out to the, the Flyers as well. So uh, good luck, Dayton Flyers. And uh, uh, that, that organization, that, that program at UD has really, really come a long way, and uh, we hope they get at least to the grade eight. Well, it, it would be nice. And i got to give you credit, Mark. When we talked before the Ohio State-Dayton game, you said Dayton would give Ohio State uh, a tough game and, and could probably win that. You called it. You thought that Dayton would win it, and they did. Yeah, and I, I really thought they could beat uh, Syracuse because Syracuse plays a zone, and if you're going to play a zone against Dayton, you better set it up quick. And Stanford plays zone, and uh, you know I think Dayton. I mean, look at the look at the seedings. Uh, Dayton's an eleven, Stanford's a ten, so they were viewed. Uh, similarly, by the selection committee, so uh, it's going to be a toss-up game. In fact, Dayton's and these. Uh, Dayton's I was just going to say, and these two teams, Mark, have, are, have two great coaches, Archie Miller and Johnny Dawkins. Yeah, Archie Miller got an extension to. Uh, I think he got a three-year extension signed today. Well, let's hope he can stay at Dayton because I was just going to ask you, how long do you think he'll be there? Well, those contracts, those coaches sign, it's, it's really a one-sided contract. Uh, the, the, the school is committed to him, but they never make a coach stay if he wants to leave. Uh, right. You know, it would be anti-common sense to do that. So uh, he knows he's got a, a very good job for the next uh, several years, and he's done a, a fine job so far with the team. Well, I, I wish them all the – I'd like to see them go the – I'd like to see them go the whole way. I really would. You know, the funny thing is, if somebody would have told you before this entire tournament began, out of the four teams in Ohio, Dayton would be the only one left after the first weekend, I think you'd have probably told people they were nuts. Well, how about the fact that they were were the sixth team taken out of the Atlantic 10, and they're the only team left? Yep. Hey, so the Reds open next Monday. By the time we hit the airwaves with our show on Monday night, the Reds game should be over. They open with the St. Louis Cardinals at Great American Ballpark at 4.10 in the afternoon. Who do you think will be the starting pitcher for the Reds in that game? Johnny Cueto. Let's hope you're right. The Indians are going to open up with Oakland in Oakland on Monday night after our show. I'm hoping, beyond hope, that I will be able to watch this game. I may not be able to watch it. They haven't fixed that situation yet? My gosh. They have not fixed that situation yet, so I may not be able to watch it. I may have to depend upon Tom Hamilton to get through to it. So, hey, and our prediction show is next week. 
Are you ready for that, Mark? Are you ready to go? Yes, but I, I'll give a hint. I'm a little depressed. So uh, let's hope uh, the Reds do something between now and next week to make me feel a little better. Well, I don't want you to be depressed. Let's keep your chin up here, and we'll talk again next Monday night. All right, David. Good night. All right. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Our thanks to everybody that was involved. Our thanks to Mark Donahue, to Greg Mitchell for being our producer, but most of all, to you for listening. Our prediction show will be next Monday night at 9 o'clock here on Ohio Baseball Weekly. And don't forget to join me on Thursday night with the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. That will be at 7 o'clock here at ultimatesportstalk.com. That's going to do it for us on this Monday night. Until next week with our prediction show, and opening day is Monday. Go Indians, go Reds. And it's time for me to go home. Good night, everybody.